Robert Sala is introduced. Woody Johnson is back. And we go over the Deshaun Watson situation. But first, we have to hit on the championship Sunday we just watched. And the unholy nature of Tom Brady. The man has manipulated the Matrix. Sabo Radio Monday, day after the championship Sunday that saw the Bucks and the Chiefs advance. We'll hit on uh, Bills and Chiefs first. Uh, Bills, they needed a pass rush. The only way they were going to have a chance in that game is if their conventional pass rush came to the field and came to the party. And we know Patrick Mahomes, he came in a little banged up, uncertain, with the head, with the concussion. Reed was going to get it out of his hands quickly, which he did. And their secondary is tremendous. Buffalo's secondary is tremendous. But if you have a great secondary and not much up front, and you can't get to the quarterback, it doesn't do anything in today's game. I don't care if it's Revis, Deion Sanders, you can't cover these guys. You just can't do it. Mel Blunt. Mel Blount would, he'd be cut after the first week. Can't touch the receiver, gone. So Buffalo, you know, give Josh Allen credit. Brian Dayball, give him credit, even though he's taken some flack for not running the ball enough. Uh, Buffalo had a hell of a season. They did what they were supposed to do. They finished 13-3. and three. I did not think they'd get 13 wins. I thought they'd take a step back maybe 10 wins, 11 wins. I thought the the preseason estimation for what they do was a little crazy, was a little off. But you got to give them credit. They had a great season. Their fans welcomed them home, which was a tremendous job. Bill's Mafia, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't the Dolphins. It wasn't uh, the Patriots. The Patriots were a laughingstock in the early 90s. You know, Bill Parcell saved them. It, it was the Bills. The Bills were the dominant AFC East team. So credit them. Hell of a job. Defense, the the pass rush just did not get it done, and they needed a pass rush to wreck the game. That was their only shot. And that's going to be the Bucks' only shot, too, in the Super Bowl. But considering there's a guy named Tom Brady... Why can't the Bucks pass rush suddenly turn into Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White all in one? Everything else turns out perfectly for number 12. It's amazing. I saw a graphic on Twitter. Uh, what was it? And I didn't realize this. This is his 10th Super Bowl. Yes, he has six rings. Could be seven. But everywhere he's lived, everywhere he's been, teams have won. In the 80s, growing up in California, the Bay Area, the Niners were a dynasty. Four Super Bowls in the 80s, one more in the 90s, three Walsh, two Seifert. Then he moves to Michigan. Detroit Red Red Wings start to win. I think uh, Michigan University, uh, who, who was it that won a national championship? I can't remember. But Detroit started to win. Then he goes to Boston professionally. The Red Sox start to win. Obviously, the Patriots start to win. The Celtics win. 
the Bruins win. Everywhere he's lived, even if he had nothing to do with the actual result, the teams win. Collegiately, professionally. I'm trying to think who else won in the 90s with Detroit. Red Wings, we know the Tigers did not. Lions did not, but they had good teams with Barry Sanders. And Pistons did not. I mean, when did he get to Detroit? It was after the bad boys, obviously, and before uh, 2004's championship. But still, it's remarkable. I, you know, even the Giants, even the San Francisco Giants in the late 80s were starting to become good. Early 90s had a good team. It's beyond ridiculous. Back the slap. Here's the snap. This guy... Either he sold his soul to the devil or he's manipulated the matrix. He understands that we're living in the matrix and he's, he's been saved. He figured Morpheus has come and got him at a very young age and he's just playing a joke on everyone. He's manipulated his matrix to where he's the greatest human being in history. And it's enough to make you sick. I don't hate Tom Brady at all, but this much winning when the guy doesn't even do much, 280 yards, three touchdowns, three picks, 75.4 QBR, and his team wins. It's remarkable. They get the break of a lifetime to play Washington in the first round. No Alex Smith. They go on to New Orleans. Good win. But Drew Brees is clearly done. Can't throw past 10 yards. And then they beat Green Bay. Where, you know, it was it was a decent game. The Mike Pettin call at the end of the first half. You got to be kidding me. That one reeked of Greg Williams against Henry Ruggs. And that one's actually worse than Greg Williams. Why? Because it was one-on-one coverage. Pettin left a post safety, a free safety, and a robber as well. He also had two green dogs, which means he only rushed four. If you're going to play one-on-one in that situation, final play at the end of a half or at the end of a game, it's better to at least rush seven and attack the quarterback. The goal is to get to make the quarterback get rid of the ball quicker than he has to. Brady, that was not an impressive play. All he had to do was throw it. So Pettin, it's not as flashy because Greg Williams blitzed seven, sent seven with another green dog as an eighth guy. It's not as flashy or, you know, in your face, but it's actually a worse call than Greg, than Greg Williams because he only rushed four and still put one-on-one coverage on the sideline. That is inexcusable. So without that play, Packers probably win. Second half, Packers really, I wouldn't say they dominated, but they had the edge of the play by far. Bucks were just trying to hold on. Defense didn't have Antoine Winfield, which you got to feel bad for the kid. Rookie all year, plays well, can't play in the Super Bowl now. I think he was replaced on the active roster already. But you know what it comes down to. The defensive pass interference at the end of the game. How in the world... Do the officials call that flag? How do they throw that flag? How do they call that a penalty? It makes no sense. By the letter of the law, yes, it's pass interference. 
There's no question about it. He tugged his shirt. Which, by the way, a shirt being tugged rather than a shoulder or anything else is much more glaring, much more in your face. But it has the minimal impact compared to the other pass interference plays in the game that were not called. By the letter of the law, it's a flag. But by the way the game flow happened, that's not a flag. All you ask as a player and coach is that the officials are consistent. They start one way. They tell everyone this is how it's going to be today. So get, get ready, get used to it, adjust. And players and coaches nod their head and say, okay, this is the game. Right from the outset, the officials made it clear that this was no NFL 2021 game. This was going to be a throwback. Pats Colts 2003 AFC Championship where Ty Law is mugging every Peyton Manning receiver, Harrison, Wayne, etc. That's the type of game it was. And to call that flag on third and, what was it, third and four? Third and five? To call that flag is just absurd. It's, it's absurd. Here it is on the screen if you're watching. From one of the platforms, YouTube, Facebook, who was it, Tyler Johnson. There's the grab. Look at how far over the head the ball was. Brady didn't feel confident in the separation. So he made sure he overthrew the ball. Not only should the tug probably not be called based on the way the game was called, but it should not be called based on where that ball is. Look at where the ball is. It's uncatchable. I know the uncatchable rule sort of went away, sort of dissolved into the ether over the years, but this is absurd. You don't give you don't hand a team a victory when the ball when the play cannot be made and especially if they called the game as they normally call every game in 2020 i would be fine with this penalty being called but that's not what happened yesterday bucks dbs were harassing packers receivers all game and the other way around and nothing was called and you call this nfl you guys are out of your minds And you deserve every criticism in terms of fans thinking the game is fixed. I know it's not. I know it's silly. But you deserve the criticism for this. Because all anyone asks for is consistency. The ball is uncatchable. Uncatchable. Why call that? Why call that based on everything every pattern you laid forth during that game. It just makes no sense. Terrible job by the officials. Last night I tweeted after watching the Knicks game, NBA officiating, look at that acting job too, Manu Ginobili diving like an idiot. NBA officiating has hit an all-time low. So has NFL officiating because this, and it's not a surprise, the replay stuff makes it happen. It's clearly past interference by the letter of the law, but the problem is, look at where the ball is. It's so uncatchable. The problem is, the game flow doesn't make it so. Tony Dungy, 
quote, that was obvious pass interference, but the problem is they let other jersey grabs go during the game. Inconsistent calls frustrate you. Here's another video. Second year player from Central Michigan. Second round pick. He's got his third. You're going to watch the tug right here. Look at the tug on Lazard. Picked. Tug, clear. Shoulder, pad, jersey tug on Lazard. By Murphy Bunting. And he comes up with the pick. That's as egregious as the last call. And this wasn't called pass interference. And this was not the only example. There were other many, many examples. It's about consistency. For anyone that's played the game, coached the game, that's all it's about. You have to establish how the rule, how the rules and how the flow is going to happen. If you're looking at the screen, again, a screenshot of the jersey tug on Lazard. What is this? Not as important because it didn't happen on the final play late in the fourth quarter. It's about consistency. This is a pick. This is an interception in the championship game. It's critical. Again, another screenshot. And I saw a bunch. I mean, I saw the game. They were everywhere. They were were everywhere. And they call it on Brady's side at the end. Not because the game is fixed. Of course, the game's not fixed. Because he manipulated the Matrix. He's the clear winner. And we're all just living in this Tom Brady matrix world. That's impossible to escape. Uh, For you Jets fans out there. If he returned to the Super Bowl with the Pats, it would be a lot worse. I understand. You know, you look forward to the Super Bowl. You look forward to a matchup where you could feel good about both sides. You'll have a rooting interest no matter what, but feel good about both sides and not carry any hatred in there. You know, your team hasn't been there since 1968. I go by the season, it, truly 1969, but 1968. And on top of that, you got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in your division shutting you out and going to the Super Bowl every other season. So it's not as bad as Brady being with the Pats, but still, I got a feeling all Jets fans are going to be rooting for the Chiefs. This time around. In terms of the matchup with the Super Bowl, there'll be plenty of time to talk about that. Two weeks. Um, I got to pick the Chiefs. I think the Bucks will make a game out of it, but they've a lot of the Bucks play. This offseason has been smoke and mirrors. A lot of it. The Chiefs, on the other hand, are just a machine. And Spagnolo is just as important as Reed is on the defensive side. If you understand Spagnolo, his postseason defenses and this is why i picked the chiefs last year before the playoffs started and this year i had the saints as well big l on that because i had a lot of saints players in this fantasy playoff league breeze emmanuel sanders lutz gone brady because of the matrix but if you understand spagnolo his defenses always play better in the playoffs always during a regular season they could have a good year but in the playoffs, they always pass rush, pass rush better. They're always more intense. They're always more ready. He's just a playoff defensive coach, and you really got to respect it. Woody Johnson returns unofficially. He's back in the country, at least. Uh, his serving at the pleasure of the president is over. No more United States ambassador to the United Kingdom. 
and Christopher Johnson in the Robert Sella introductory press conference last Thursday described it that Woody will be the chairman. Christopher will be the vice chairman. Both will be involved moving forward. That's how it's going to go down. Is he officially back in the fold yet? Who knows? I have no idea. But he's made his presence known on Twitter Monday afternoon. He thanked his brother and let it be known that he's back. Quote, I would like to thank my brother, Christopher, for leading the organization while I was away. His dedication and thoughtfulness has set us up for future success, and I'm looking forward to working closely together. End quote. He didn't stop there. As we know, Robert Sala has not spoke, has not spoken to Woody yet. Now he has. Quote, I had a great conversation with Coach Sala today and would like to welcome him and his family to the Jets family. Unquote. Woody Johnson is back. For you Jets fans who are fearful, don't be. Woody wants to win. Throughout his history, he has not overrun general managers and head coaches. There might have been times where he's overruled them in terms of wanting the star player. But I truly don't think he's overruled when the head coach or the general manager was 100% against it. For example, Tim Tebow with Rex Ryan. I don't think Rex Ryan was 100% against that. In fact, I think Rex Ryan thought he could make anything work. Anything. In fact, him hiring Tony Sperano kind of makes me think he was with the Tim Tebow acquisition. Brett Favre, that might be another story. Was that all Woody? Possibly. Possibly. Eric Mangi was still there. Uh, Mangini was still there. Tannenbaum, obviously. Mangini has spoken about it afterwards, that it was a mistake to acquire Favre. They should have rolled with Pennington. I mean, whatever. Pennington wasn't going to bring you to a Super Bowl. Uh, Favre one year, then you had a chance at number five to grab a quarterback. You go Mark Sanchez, which Rex Ryan was all for. Tannenbaum as well. And that 2009 draft marked the beginning of the end of that great Jets roster. So in certain instances, has Woody gone ahead and acquired the star player, especially the star quarterback? Yes. But has he done so in a truly damaging way uh, over 20 years since he's owned the team since 2000? I don't think so. And I think, and I've written about it a lot, they, they do, and Salah, Salah even said it last Thursday, the perception is unfair of the organization. They deserve to be hammered for what's happened over the last decade, for not doing it the right way. For letting Rex run amok with personnel when he was just a head coach and possibly just a defensive coordinator. But the perception is wrong. Even Sala said it. It's unfair. Um, in terms of the Sala press conference, it was a good showing. He was obviously a little nervous at first. I think he admitted it on uh, one of the radio shows, either Kay or Evan and Carton, Carton and Roberts, the official name, which I don't know how that's doing. I know they took ratings back from Kay a little bit, but Carton is a morning guy through and through. He knows how to get the party started. He knows how to grab the attention of the casual fan. I don't know if it's going to be a bonanza based on that because the morning 
aligns with that attitude and that kind of fan a lot more than the afternoon does. But with social media, with casual fandom really increasing and spiking, it could work in the afternoon moving forward. And I think that's what Carton and WFN are hedging on moving forward. But Salah, he, he, was, he was impressive. All gas, no breaks. All gas, no break was his motto. And everything he said was spot on. Uh, the one question I had for him, couldn't ask it, related to a defensive mind taking over the head coach position. My The first thing I think of is, in today's league, how will a defensive-minded head coach handle certain in-game situations, you know, in-game management? In the past, especially with Jets, Bowles, Rex Ryan, they've relied on the defense entirely too much in a league where the 85 Bears would have a tough time stopping any mediocre offense late in games. That's just the way it is. You know, back in the day, it was tougher to stop teams later in games because of the head games. Defensive coordinators would play with themselves. Okay, I want to play prevent. I got to protect against the deep pass. So I'm exchanging yards for time, and that leads to better offense. It's even worse today with the rules. So how does a defensive mind wrestle with that? He's a defensive mind, but he understands, hopefully understands today's game. Where is the gray line? Will his defensive first attitude get in the way of some calls or not? I have a feeling they will not. You know, he's not going to call the defensive plays. Jeff Olberch will, which is a tremendous thing from a trust standpoint for a head coach. He's bringing in the right people. Michael Floor, you have to be excited about Michael Floor, even though his brother really, really made the worst call of the past decade yesterday kicking a field goal on fourth and goal when you're down eight with how much time was left two two and change two minutes and change so but you still feel good, good about michael floor the shanahan system olbrich brant boyer returns as special teams coordinator today it was announced not announced it was reported all gas no break we've heard it before uh lafleur has used it but lafleur matt lafleur and sal go a long way back to 2004 at Central Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Sala was the best man at LaFleur's wedding. And interestingly, these two teams played last year. Niners, Packers, Niners steamrolled them. What did Sala know about LaFleur that really got that done? Uh, but I digress. Uh, Sala, he's bringing in the right people. He trusts his people. And most importantly, like Joe Douglas, it's about the process And that's the most important takeaway when it comes to this new regime. It's not about results. It's not about gusto or bravado. It's not about silence. It's not about any one way to present yourself. It's about the process. A cornerback who does everything right, stumbles, recovers well, and gives up a touchdown, as opposed to a cornerback who plays it terribly, puts up bad technique, gets beat, gets beaten, but the quarterback overthrows the ball, incomplete, 
the first cornerback did a better job because the process is what you want to harp on. The process is what yields the most consistent results. And that's the attitude that Douglas and Salah bring. And that's the culture attitude that Douglas is talking about. A lot of people confuse uh, that culture talk, that culture speak. Eh, what's culture? You just need talent. No, this is not the NBA. It doesn't work that way. The NFL has never been more closely tied to college football. Young kids uh, building something the right way with young kids. It's very closely tied. And in the past where you never heard terms like building a football program in professional football in the NFL, you do now because they're very closely tied. Uh, Urban Meyer to Jacksonville, no one's blinking an eye when 20 years ago, Spurrier had no chance. Other Saban had no chance. Other college quarterbacks had no chance. Today, I said college quarterbacks, college coaches. Today, college coaches seamlessly fit. Although I do think Jacksonville is a disaster waiting to happen. Based on ownership, Shad Khan, Urban Meyer, Lawrence, Trent Belke as general manager, that's a disaster waiting to happen. And I kind of go back to the one sentiment I had after the Jets won their second game, I think against Cleveland, where I said, generally speaking, doing the right thing and winning no matter the situation yields far better results than worrying about any one player in the draft, than intentionally tanking in the draft for any one player. Would you want the number one pick right now instead of number two for Trevor Lawrence? Of course. Of course, that's the better situation. But to me, generally speaking, doing everything you can to ensure that the available pool of people, coaches, players, is larger. The available pool of quality people is larger to bring in to your organization. Making sure that's there is so much more important than worrying about any one player in a draft. And I think, and follow it closely, Follow the Eagles. They tanked the last season. They seem to be on the downward spiral. Jets did the right thing. They seem to be on the upward trend. And the Jags. I think the Jags are a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, an argument could be made whether they tanked or not. Not the players. Obviously, that never happens. The front office kept James Robinson out. Minshew. Um, Eagles obviously did. Peterson's gone. They bring in Frank Reich's uh, offensive coordinator, Sirianni. Keep track of these three organizations, Jets, or Jets, Jags, and Eagles, and see what happens in the next couple of years. But the Salah press conference, good job all the way around. Douglas, Salah, Christopher Johnson. The overarching theme is that playtime is over. Christopher Johnson handed the keys in 2017 was handed Bowles and McCagnan. Great year in 2015. Terrible in 2016. See, 2015 was the worst thing that could happen to the Jets. They were fooled. They thought they had a good team. They thought the aggressive rebuild worked. It did not. The cupcake schedule made it happen. 2016, they fell flat on their face, and they began a rebuilding offseason right as Christopher Johnson took control. So he had time. He had a window. So did McCagnan. Unfortunately, the drafting was awful. He didn't get rid of McCagnon soon enough. If uh, Adam Gase did one great thing, 
it was coming in and helping Christopher Johnson realize that McKagan is not the real deal. That's the one great thing Gase did. If indeed that's what happened. So brought in the right guy with Joe Douglas. Brought in the right guy with Robert Sala. Everyone believes. So credit Christopher Johnson for ultimately getting right, getting it right. In the past, they did it wrong. Tannenbaum and Mangini was a great combo. Mangini knew personnel. Tannenbaum did a good job as GM. He came from a financial background. So with Mangini and Rex, with Tannenbaum, each had a lot of say in personnel. How could one combo do so well and the other combo do so poorly? On field, Rex did better than Mangini, but it was Mangini's team. From a building perspective, Mangini and Tannenbaum crushes Rex and Tannenbaum. Last-ditch effort, Schottenheimer's gone, Tannenbaum's gone. You bring in Idzik, who no one really knows what he did prior to the Jets. Who's calling the shots? Probably Rex still. They reset in 2015 with McCagnan and Bowles, two total strangers. McCagnan has a scouting, had a scouting background, but it wasn't uh, anything overly impressive. They draft poorly for another four drafts. The playtime is over. Woody should have got rid of Rex a lot sooner. Uh, Christopher should have gotten, gotten rid of McCagnan a lot sooner. They have finally realized that bring it's about the process and bringing in the right people, the right character matters. See, 10 years ago, they didn't care about character. San Antonio Holmes, Burris didn't matter. Santonio Holmes cut the legs out from under Mark Sanchez so many times, the way he acted. That stuff matters. You know, a team that's 0-13 or whatever they were when they won when they beat Los Angeles, winning that game, to what extent does it matter? I don't know. But winning that game does matter. It, it does. To show fight within the program. It does, as long as the general manager is still there. Head coach is gone, obviously. But that resolve does matter. To what degree? Who knows? But it does matter. Uh, Sala says it will take some time. But he's not afraid of mentioning championships, which is very interesting. Been a, a losing culture in that building for a while. What is your plan for changing that? You understand that uh, with regards to the, the, what's happened in the past. You know, what, what we do challenge everybody is to, to, to really judge us on moving forward. You know, when you look at the plan and what, we're, what we have in play in place with regards to scheme, offense, defense, special teams, and the mindset at which we're going to do it, there is an investment that's going to be made to one another. Coaches to players, players to coaches, organization to everybody. And there's an investment that's going to be reciprocated. But understanding that the all gas, no break mentality that we're going to have with how we wake up in the morning, how we rehab, how we prepare for meetings, how we take the practice field, how we're deliberate and everything we do will lead to the uh, results that you'll see on Sunday. Um, It will take time, but everything we do is going to be designed to win championships in the future. And so when we talk about all gas, no break and that mentality, waking up in the morning, putting your foot to the pedal. Uh, uh, and, and having that mindset, again, go to bed better than when you woke up. That's the mindset we're going to have. And again, we are very confident that's going to lead to championships. He was non-committal on Sam Darnold. 
which makes sense. Again, you can't take the emotion-filled way in personnel with a hard salary cap. Joe Douglas knows this. Sala also knows this. Separate the personal side, the relationship side from the business side. Being non-committal with Sam Darnold makes sense. But also having reports out there that the Jets think they could fix Sam Darnold also makes sense. In January, the goal is to increase your options. Maximize your personal options for when it's time, for when mid-March comes. So having those reports out there, you wouldn't want anyone to think anything else if you're Joe Douglas or Sala. Obviously, you can't commit to him publicly, but in terms of a, you know, calling someone up, dishing out some info, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's been known to happen. Letting it be known that Darnold is a possibility moving forward is the right thing to maximize options. The question is, who will be the quarterback? Because Deshaun Watson, the latest on this craziness, is that he prefers the Jets over the Dolphins. Now, everyone went gaga when this came out. When did it come out? Two days ago. It's a report from the Miami Herald's Armando Salguero, who has been accused in the past of being not so accurate with reports. Twitter was mighty split on the matter. Interestingly, you know, he's a columnist for the Herald. He's covered the Dolphins a long time. Interestingly, the two teams that are mentioned in this article are the Jets and the Dolphins. Jets are his number one choice, according to Salguero. Dolphins, number two. Why Jets? Robert Sala. We already knew this previously. A report from Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio that he, that he wanted the Texans to interview Sala and Biennemi. Didn't with Sala. They did with Biennemi. Another report recently surfaced that doesn't even matter if they hire Biennemi now. That it doesn't, it's not going to change anything. Watson wants out. Uh, his team has done everything it can to work in concert and mention the Jets. From Watson's perspective, it doesn't make sense to mention the Jets for really any reason. The team he wants to get to, he doesn't want that team to have to unload a lot of assets. He doesn't want that team to be in a worse position than they have to be. So from Watson's perspective, mentioning the Jets has nothing to do with leverage. He has a no trade clause. You know, he can't be a total prick with the Houston Texans organization, but he still could muscle them around a bit. So there's no leverage here for their, for them. The Jets, Joe Douglas, they don't want to see a bidding war. Ideal world, they'd like Watson to use the no trade say, I only want to go to the Jets, and let's work out a deal. Let's keep it hush-hush so no one else knows, and let's work out a deal. If it's a bidding war, I don't know if Joe Douglas will get in that. I think the return could be a lot less than people think. I think it's possible the number two pick and and a first-round pick and maybe two twos. I think it's possible they can get him without having to give up three first-round picks thanks to that number two overall pick and maybe Darnold. But... If it's a bidding war and it goes to a crazy package, that's when I see Douglas being very hesitant because the allure of the rookie 
quarterback is so big these days. Over the last decade, track the good teams and how they were built. It happened under the rookie salary cap window. Their contract is manageable for four years. That's how the Seahawks were built. And Robert Sala was there. He won a championship with them on the defensive staff. Uh, Baltimore with Flacco. It was towards the end of his first year, first deal. It might have been his option year. Once he got paid, it was over. Forget about it. And that's the trend. Once these quarterbacks get paid, the organization has a tough time. Russell Wilson, once he got paid, they haven't been back. Flacco, once he got paid. Eli, once he got his last contract after that second Super Bowl. Mahomes, how was that Chiefs team built? Mahomes under the rookie window. Eagles, how was that Eagles team built? Wentz under the rookie window. Foles was dirt cheap. The Rams, how were they built? Goff under that rookie window. Goff's not that great. Wentz is not that great. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, they were already good when Lamar got there. But still, they ascended a little bit with Lamar. It's a manageable contract. The Bills, Josh Allen. The point is, it could be a good quarterback, below average quarterback, great quarterback. Great teams are built through that design. That's what's going to be in the back of, the, of Joe Douglas's head. And from Watson's camp, that perspective, there's no reason to mention the Jets because there's no negotiating pluses. The Texans, on the other hand, there's a lot of reason to mention the Jets and the Dolphins because those two teams have the best shot. They have the most assets to give up. Uh, I think the Jets have one more first-round pick than the Dolphins. The Dolphins have three over the next two years. Jets have four. So they have the most assets to give up. So the Texans doing everything they can to get the public perception believing the Jets and the Dolphins are the top two picks, that's leverage because they want the most in return. If they get the Jets and Dolphins involved, they're ready to roll. Is that what happened here with Salguero? I have no idea. Salguero is a Miami guy. Uh, If that's what happened, it came from Houston, Texans organization. But I think the Watson interest in the Jets is real. I do. I really do think it's real. And would I pull a trade off for Watson? Of course I would. But I'm not on the train that says, get him at all costs. I'm not on that train. I'll give up number two. I'll give up three first round picks if it's number two, 2022 and 2023. I'm not giving up three first round picks if it's number two, number 23 this year, and then next, next year. I, I shouldn't say I'm not. I'm hesitant. I'd much rather do three over three years because that number two pick is being completely undersold and undervalued right now. And I do think if it's three firsts over the next three years and Sam Darnold, let's go. If it's three firsts over the next three years and a second, let's go. If it's number two, number 23, and next year's first, I have a tough time with that. And I don't want to give up anything else on top of that if I, if I reluctantly pull the trigger. Watson's a hell of a player. The salary is going to be, going to be ballooned. No, they're not on the hook for any bonus money or guaranteed money on the books. But after 2021, it goes up to $40 million, the cap hit. The team can be built that way. 
but it makes it a lot less flexible. You can't miss on anyone, which even the greatest general managers in the world will miss on guys in drafts. It's just the way it is. So you have less, less routes, you have fewer routes to get to the end result, end goal, which is the Super Bowl, if you take on Watson. But your on-field talent will be automatically better. So it's an exchange. Anyway, I think Watson is truly interested in the Jets. Will he only play for the Jets? That's the question. If he can use his no trade and tell the Texans I'm only playing for the Jets, Douglas can get him for a bit of a bargain. And I don't think people are anticipating that. It w- and it would serve Watson to do that, whether it's the Jets, Dolphins, wherever he wants to go, Niners, using that no trade to make sure it's not a bidding war, to make sure the Texans are just negotiating with that one team, serves the team he's about to be traded to. And that's what he wants. The only negative is pissing Houston off to the point where they say, forget it. Stay on the roster and don't play. That's the only negative. But I don't think Houston's going to go down that road. So Watson holds all the cards thanks to the no trade. It's incredible. There's a lot of pressure on Houston. They can't go through a season with Watson sitting out. It just can't happen. I mean, unless stubbornness reaches an all new all-time high in this Tom Brady matrix we're all living in with his invisible angel on his shoulder at every turn. So that's the story with Watson. I encourage Jets fans. They're all, they're going to be, they're excited as hell. I hate, I just get disappointed. I, I feel bad when the Jets fan gets disappointed. So, you know, I put out a warning on Twitter. I encourage Jets fans not to go all in on Watson, you know, be excited but remember, this isn't the NBA. There are multiple routes to the end goal, which is a Super Bowl. And even that, it just it gets hammered critically by fans. I'm already all in. Uh, shut up. You know, the, the normal stuff. I'm just looking out for you. That's all. I, I hate to see. I get sad when you get sad. Just looking out. Gun to my head. Do I think it happens? I don't know. I don't even have an answer because I think for Douglas, it greatly depends on Watson using that no trade clause. And Douglas, he likes to build it the right way. He's a salary cap guy. Gun to my head. Does it happen? I say no. I think he goes to Zach Wilson. He trades Darnold for more draft capital. And away he goes with the drafting plan, bringing in the talent, sign the right key guys as free agency, not going crazy. 2021 is a good season. 2022 is the season that they're ready to go. But hey, you never know. So lots to look forward to, even though you're going to be bored out of your mind for the next two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, look forward to Brady winning his seventh because this is the matrix after all. And he has more powers than Morpheus. Um, and everyone else involved, the Oracle. Uh, who's the other guy? Who is the Oracle's, the old man? Uh, the architect? The architect, I think. Brady is above all. He's above all those people. 
There's no question about it. It's not a question. It's a certainty. He's, he might be God. Throws three picks. Everything breaks his way. It's just incredible every year. Uh, look forward to the Deshaun Watson stuff. Nothing can, you know, I got to check the rules. I have seen trades happen before the league year starts uh, under certain circumstances. But generally speaking, you'll have to wait to mid-March for that. But Watson is going to make news over the next few weeks. There's no question. And maybe he does it during the Super Bowl when the most eyes are on him. You know, if he has a savvy business team, look for news around the Super Bowl with Watson. He hasn't yet officially said, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't officially come out and said, trade me. But he's done everything but that. So we got that too. Super Bowl, Watson, Salah is in, Woody Johnson's back. Uh, check out jetsxfactor.com. Check out our app, JetX Mobile, on Android and iOS, Apple, iTunes, what have you. And Sable Radio on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that good stuff. Until next time, I'll see you in Brady's Matrix. Thank you.